All right, so we're continuing our message series, The Spirit and the Mission of the Church, um, and it is a series on the first four chapters of the book of Acts. The idea is to see what we can learn from the early church about what it means to be a spirit-filled church, a spirit-empowered church, uh, accomplishing the mission that Jesus established for the church. Last week, uh, Mason did a great job preaching on the first part of Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the 120 disciples in the upper room. Um, This week, we are looking at Peter's first sermon, uh, a passionate, spirit-filled sermon that resulted in 3,000 people coming to faith in Christ, getting baptized, and joining the church all in a single day. One of the interesting things about this sermon uh, is that even though Jesus had already ascended to be with the Father, this sermon had everything to do with Jesus. Um, Considering what just happened, you would think that Peter would have talked about the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who just entered the room with a roaring of a mighty windstorm, with tongues of fire, right? It was the Holy Spirit who had empowered them to speak in languages that they had never learned. It was the Holy Spirit who had prompted them to leave the house uh, where they'd been gathering and go out in the streets and start proclaiming the mighty works of God. Surely, Peter would preach a message on the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, Peter doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit much at all. Uh, His sermon from beginning to end is about Jesus. He begins with a short summary of Jesus' life, uh, his ministry, talking about the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he has seen. He then refers to Jesus' betrayal and his death on the cross, also saying that God knew all this would happen, right? It didn't surprise God. Uh, This was the plan all along. Peter then moves on to the resurrection. Uh, He said the following. He said, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. The resurrection demonstrated that Jesus was none other than the long-awaited Messiah. He's the descendant of David, who would deliver the people of God from their bondage. Then Peter describes Jesus' ascension and exaltation to the right hand of the Father, right? It says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. So this very same Jesus who had caused such a stir in the area for the last three-ish years, um, this very same Jesus who I'm sure a good number of these people would have personally seen at one time or another, this very same Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father and rules now over all things, right? Now, what Peter preached about Jesus, his miracles, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, his rule over all of heaven and earth, This is the remarkable truth about Jesus Christ. This is what all peoples of the world need to know about him. This is what makes him incredibly important to every human being on the face of the planet. 
Here's what it says in 1 John 5, 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. These are the core truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the most important truths in the entire world. However, you may not realize that these core truths of the gospel are less commonly held in the world than you might think. Definitely, those who follow other religions, uh, as well as atheists, agnostics, they wouldn't agree with Peter's sermon. But there are also many individuals and churches and seminaries and whole denominations who have been profoundly influenced by liberal theology. Now, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about theology. Liberal theology. I won't name names, uh, but there are many liberal seminaries out there who have graduated people who are now pastoring churches. People um, who, for example don't believe in the authority of Scripture. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in miracles or the supernatural. They don't believe that Jesus Christ actually, literally, rose from the dead. They certainly don't believe that Jesus is our only hope and that without Jesus Christ, one is destined for hell. They wouldn't even believe in the existence of a literal hell. They do believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher, that he modeled uh, how important it is for for us to be compassionate and loving and merciful. Usually that gets translated into a strong emphasis on social justice um, and bringing historically marginalized people, groups to the table, right, so they too can have a voice. And that's about it. Now, certainly being compassionate and merciful is important. Um, Social justice is important. Um, And valuing each person's worth and input, right, regardless of race or gender or socioeconomic status, um, that's all important. But here's the problem. Currently, the world's population, I, I just looked this up like two days ago, 7.9 billion. The number of professing Christians in the world is about 2.38 billion. That's about roughly 30%. So that statistic alone is pretty dismal. But when you think that a good portion of those professing Christians are people like I just described, right? The number of gospel-believing Christians is probably much lower than 30%. So there's a huge portion of the world uh, that wouldn't even claim to be Christian, and among those who claim to be Christian, many of them wouldn't actually believe in the gospel that Peter is preaching in today's sermon, like the scripture we just heard. It's crazy. So the Bible is very, 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 very clear. Jesus is King of kings and he is Lord of lords, right? And because he is Lord, 
Um, because he did die on a cross, because he did raise from the dead, because he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and because he is coming again to judge the living and the dead, he deserves our faith, he deserves our worship, he deserves our obedience. All right, we saw in last week's scripture, uh, when the people saw the Holy Spirit's power come upon the disciples, and they were all hearing each other in their own languages, and they asked, what does this mean? And now Peter gives the answer, right? What you saw and heard was the work of the very man that many of you thought was dead. Right? What this means is that Jesus is still at work in the world. Not in one physical body, but by the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus' body, the church, right? Big C church. There's a, little, there's a difference here. Little C church would mean like the local church. Big C church is the church universal, right? It means all of the gospel-believing, gospel-preaching churches in the world, okay? The Jesus who had lived and taught and worked miracles among them was still among them, but in a different form. Um, you remember the night before his crucifixion in the upper room, Jesus was telling his disciples about the Holy Spirit. He said in John 15, 26, he said, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. Jesus also said in John 16, 14, he said, he, meaning the Holy Spirit, will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. And then Jesus said too in John 14, 26. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. In other words, one of the fundamental things the Holy Spirit does is to mediate the presence of Jesus, to convince people of the truth about Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. There is a perfect love and humility in the inner life of the Godhead. Um, the Son is always eager and ready to obey the Father. The Father is always eager to display the glory of his Son. And the Holy Spirit finds his fulfillment in drawing our attention not to himself, but to Jesus Christ. The author J.I. Packer, I think, did a really good job of describing how this works in his book called Keep in Step with the Spirit. He said uh, the following. I remember walking to a church one winter evening to preach on the words, he shall glorify me, seeing the building floodlit as I turned a corner and realizing that this was exactly the illustration my message needed. When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are so placed that you do not see them. You are not, in fact, supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you can see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Spirit's role. He is, so to speak, 
the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. So we know the Holy Spirit's at work uh, when people find themselves able to see Jesus, when they realize um, who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for them. We know that the Holy Spirit is at work when people believe in Jesus, when they commit their lives to Jesus, and they are starting to look more and more like Jesus. The Bible doesn't say, believe in the Holy Spirit and you will be saved, uh, but believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's Jesus Christ who died for us, not the Holy Spirit. But without the Holy Spirit, None of us would believe in Jesus. Uh, None of us would understand our true condition apart from Jesus, and none of us could grow to look more like Jesus. When the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to people, their lives change. These 3,000 people that we read about in Peter's sermon Their lives radically changed as a result of encountering the raw truth and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they heard that gospel, it says in verse 37, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other disciples or other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? So Peter told them in the next verse. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the conviction of the Holy Spirit working into the unsuspecting hearts and minds of all those people at Pentecost is what he's still doing all over the world. Um, through the practical outworking of the gospel in the local church. And that's what I want to focus on for the rest of um, this message, is the practical outworking of the gospel within the context of the local church. We've learned in this series that the Spirit empowers us to be witnesses in a lost world, right? Acts 1.8. And that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important truth in the whole world, right? Because it's the truth that sets us free and has the power to save and it has the power to transform lives for eternity. But the thing uh, that we haven't spent much time unpacking yet, and I want to start unpacking that today, is that this building of Christ's church through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the proclamation of the gospel, um, it's not just about evangelism. That's just part of it. It's way bigger than that. Okay? It is a process that involves lots of people using lots of different gifts, passions, talents, involves all kinds of different callings in all kinds of different areas of ministry. So let me explain. Accomplishing the mission of the church, uh, of being empowered by the Spirit to make disciples of Jesus, is a process. Um, I've talked about this before when I uh, taught a little bit on the angle scale. Um, But I want to give you a simplified version of that for the sake of our discussion today. 
Um, you can see this up on the screen. It should be coming up. Yep. And it's also in your sermon notes. So it starts with people being far away from Christ, coming to faith in Christ, getting water baptized, getting baptized or filled, whatever language you want to use with the Holy Spirit, leading to inner healing, freedom from bondages, addictions, discipleship leading to Christ-likeness, embracing a biblical worldview, identity, and then discovering and equipping for kingdom ministry. All right, this is all in your sermon notes, and I'm going to we're going to unpack this. I just wanted to like go fast through it. Now I'm going to unpack it. So far away from Christ. We'll start there. Obviously, we're not looking to get people from other churches to come to this one. That's not why I'm, that's not why I'm here. Okay. I mean, I'm, if you come from another church, I'm not going to like turn you away. But that's not who we're going after. It's not. Like, it's pointless, right? Uh, we want to reach people who aren't following Jesus Christ, okay? That is a very, very, very big deal, okay? So when we come to faith in Christ, believing that he died and rose again, um, accepting him as our Lord and Savior, and Scripture says if we've done that, then we should publicly proclaim our faith through water baptism. Then, even though the Holy Spirit came to dwell within us when we came to faith in Christ, even though as followers of Jesus, um, and I'm going to mix metaphors here, but hopefully you'll understand, even though as followers of Jesus, we all have the pilot light of the Holy Spirit, we're not all necessarily operating on all cylinders. Okay? Apostle Paul in Ephesians says we should go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? It's not just a one-time thing. We need more. We need more, right? I've said this numerous times, right? Why? Because we leak. How do I know we leak? Well, you go to like some worship, you know, thing, and you're just so filled with the Spirit, and then you're driving away, and like five minutes later, you're screaming at your kid, right? We leak. We need more. We need more of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now here's a piece that some churches leave out. Okay, the church is many things, but it should also be a hospital. Okay, a place where people can receive healing. Definitely emotional and spiritual healing, sometimes even physical healing, right? We believe we're a church that believes God still heals today. Okay. It should be a place where people can get freed of stuff, right? Addictions, whatever, and get support for whatever it is that they're going through, okay? This all falls under the heading of um, pastoral care, but it can include inner healing ministry, support and recovery ministries like Celebrate Recovery or other kind of 12-step kinds of programs, divorce care, grief share, my wife led grief share at our last church. Uh, she's had a lot of loss. And so uh, um, that, was, that was her calling. Stephen's ministry, you've heard a lot about that. Hospital visitation team, meals teams, uh, visiting elderly shut-ins, and so on. Um, it is everything to do with caring for and bringing healing and freedom to people. The hospital aspect of the church. This area of ministry 
is really, really, really important. Especially that inner healing piece. Um, many times people get stuck for years uh, because of the need for inner healing. Um, I've been through several of these kinds of ministries. Why several? Well, like Shrek says, uh, we're like onions and we have layers, right? Doesn't all happen at one fell swoop. I definitely needed it. Um, if you've been here a while, you've heard threads of my story. I grew up with all kinds of dysfunction and abuse uh, and alcoholism in our home. I never would have been healthy enough to be in ministry if I hadn't gone through those healing ministries. Um, there were people who tremendously hurt me that I needed to forgive. Unforgiveness poisons the soul. It's like you want a rat to die, but you eat the poison yourself. Right? That's unforgiveness. Uh, I also had father abandonment issues, had to get healed of that. Recovery ministries, I'm a huge fan of those. Um, I have seen many former alcoholics, many former drug addicts, many former sex addicts um, get free and be used by God to do some amazing kingdom things. Seeing people finally experience what Isaiah 61 uh, describes as beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise instead of despair. Essentially, wholeness instead of brokenness. Seeing people go through that kind of transformation is exhilarating. So after healing, of course, there's discipleship, but that's not just learning stuff. It's not just like you can just recite a bunch of stuff. It's discipleship that leads to Christ-likeness, right, the fruit of the Spirit. It's helping people have a biblical worldview, and at its core, it's helping people discover their true identity in Christ. Identity, it's right at the core. And lastly, uh, this is actually part of discipleship, but it's discovering our gifts, discovering how God has uniquely shaped us uh, for kingdom ministry. What's God calling us to do? Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What are those good things he planned for us long ago? Because you wouldn't want to come to the end of your life and not have accomplished the thing God put you here to do, or things. Maybe you accomplished a lot of good things in your life, but what does all that matter if you didn't do the thing God put you here to do? It's like, uh. <laughs> I wouldn't want to know that I failed <laughs> in that moment. Right? So accomplishing the mission of the church is a process that involves all of us. Right? All the spiritual gifts are needed in order to develop a healthy church that matures disciples. Here's another way to look at it. 
Um, if you've been through our Life Church 101 and 201 uh, classes, you've heard us pastors talk about these four components of health. Um, these apply on a large scale to the church, they apply to small groups, and they apply to each of us individually. They are upward, inward, outward, forward. And they'll put a, oh yeah, there it is, the graphic up on the screen. Um, so if you ever want to see that graphic at the top, like the images, that's upward, inward, outward, forward. If you ever want to see that up close, just come up to me and I'll show them to you. Right? Like, I literally had this tattooed on my arm. So you can tell this is pretty important to me. Okay? Upward is our relationship with God, expressed primarily through prayer, through worship, through the Bible, and living a spirit-empowered life. Upward. Inward is our relationship with one another, expressed primarily through how we support one another as a family uh, and grow together in a community of grace where there is acceptance, trust, um, humility, vulnerability, transparency, and authenticity. This inward piece also includes pastoral care, right? Inner healing and support and recovery ministries. Outward is our relationship uh, and heart for those who don't know Jesus, and it's having God's heart for the lost, the last, and the least. Forward is growing spiritually. It's discovering and walking out our calling in the kingdom of God, and it is discipling, it is mentoring, it is helping others fulfill God's call on their lives. Now, these aren't separate silos. There's a lot of overlap here. So, for instance, uh, upward, under upward is worship. Okay, worship. We want to raise the bar for worship all across the church, right? It's one of our, like, core values here at Life Church: worship. Okay? We talked about that with Nicholas uh, from the very first discussions that we had with him during his hiring process. Like worship happening in mid-sized gatherings. Worship happening in small groups. Children and youth worshiping. Worshiping out in the community, right? We want the same for Holy Spirit ministry. That definitely should not be a silo. Right? It's not this thing off to the side. It's this thing that comes all across the whole, the whole church. We want, uh, like, even as we go out into the community, right? So I don't want you to get the wrong impression uh, that I'm saying that the Spirit just empowers us for evangelism, for outreach. Um, and that's the sole mission of the church. That's just one part of it. It's the front end to this whole process, but this whole process is important, right? We need everyone. We need everyone's gifts. Uh, we want to be a healthy church without holes, right? Where no matter where a person is at in their journey with Jesus, um, we can meet them right where they are and help them take their next step. We, we cannot afford to have these holes, like for instance, we can't afford to not have 
pastoral care, right? Or inner healing or recovery ministries, the hospital aspect of the church. Otherwise, people get stuck. I've seen people. They've been following Jesus for decades, and they're stuck, right? They can't grow. They, get, they have a hard time forming deep relationships. They typically aren't walking out their calling in the kingdom because they need healing. They need freedom, right? We cannot afford to have discipleship, to not have discipleship, right? Otherwise, you, get a whole bunch, you reach a whole bunch of unchurched people, but then they don't grow, right? I've seen churches that are good at reaching unchurched people, but not so good at helping them grow. We don't want to do that. At the same time, we can't afford to not reach out into the community with the love of Christ. Meaning, practically meeting needs in our community, showing the love of Christ in practical ways, right? Why? Why? Right? It's not just this thing. It is my contention, and I've seen this over and over and over again, that there is a direct connection between the presence of the Spirit of God and us having a heart for the lost, the last, and the least. I've seen it over and over again. Churches who start forgetting those people eventually find themselves just going through the motions. Like, at one, one time there was mojo, and there's no mojo anymore. No more presence, no more power. Why? Because God has a special place in his heart for those people. And churches that stop caring about those people, well, God eventually just leaves the building. Um, we need all of these, upward, inward, outward, forward, and everything underneath them, right? We can't afford to not have them. But it's going to take time. Uh, we're starting to make a little progress. We've got a couple community outreach ministries that are starting up this summer. Uh, you'll see those in the uh, new Summer Grow Guide, which is coming out May 22nd. Um, if you're new, you don't know what I'm talking about. Like, that's the listing of small groups, classes, and ministries. We're kind of on a semester system here, so every spring, summer, fall, we've got, like, new groups and classes and things starting. So on May 22nd, we'll be having these grow guides out. They'll be on our website. They'll be on the app. And we say, hey, sign up for, for a group, that kind of thing. Uh, I sent an email out to several of you um, asking you to consider leading a group or class or ministry this summer. The deadline for that is coming up. It's like a week from today, May 15th. So check that out. Pray about it. You know, if God's leading you to lead something this summer, then you can fill out the form that's in that email. Another ministry uh, that's coming is inner healing, right? I, there are 14 of us uh, who went through an inner healing class this last fall called Oaks of Righteousness. Uh, I was led by folks from my last church in Kansas City, and we saw some cool God stories coming out of that. Now, <laughs> the big task in front of us is to train this team to actually be able to lead this inner healing ministry here at Life Church. And uh, that might take a year or two uh, to get those leaders ready, but um, Greg Perman, 
Uh, one of our pastors is taking point on this. He's working with the folks from Kansas City uh, to hopefully get that leader training going this fall. But again, it's going to take time. It takes time. Um, other things that are starting to kind of like pop up like little buds in the garden. Um, we now have a hospital visitation team. Um, you've heard about the Stevens ministry that Gr- uh, Greg Crosswhite, he's, he's been training, meeting every week with a team of people, training them to be Stevens ministers. And there are more, more things in the works. Um, I'm really excited to see those buds start to bloom here in the next couple years. But all of this, again, is going to take a lot of people discovering and using their gifts, stepping out into leadership, starting new things, in some cases, walking into a ministry calling. I've had um, I've got a few people I'm kind of meeting with weekly, uh, or no, twice a month now, um, who've expressed a pastoral call. And we're just, you know, just trying to... Um, coach and mentor them on that. So here is a truth I believe to the core of my being. The local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the gospel of Jesus Christ working out through the body of Jesus Christ um, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to accomplish Christ's mission for the church. The local church is the hope of the world. When it's going well, it's amazing. Um, When people are coming to faith in Christ, when they're being filled with the Spirit, when hurting people are finding deep healing, when addicted people are getting set free, when children and youth are developing in their faith, right, and their trust and their love of Jesus, right, when we see beauty and power in authentic community, right, no masks, right? Community of grace. That's why I keep saying that. Multi-generational community, right? Where the young and the old are being blessed by one another. Uh, Where people are given the freedom, the leeway, the encouragement to do the very thing that God's called them to do, right? It's not just the pastors coming up with ideas and then finding people to make that happen. It is us coming alongside you, and helping you discover and walk out whatever it is that God has put on your heart. When the church is doing that, it is truly a sight to behold. However, when it's not doing that, it's heartbreaking. When so-called mature Christians are arguing over unimportant issues, when decisions are made out of preference, rather than vision, vision and mission and the leading of the Spirit. When unchurched um, newcomers don't feel welcome or loved on, or people in general uh, feel gossiped about or judged. Uh, when we're so focused on our traditions and we'd rather just find people to do what we've always done, rather than get behind people in the church who have a God-given calling and vision to birth new things, it is a distressing image. My own conviction is that the church is God's plan A for changing the world, and he doesn't have a plan B. 
Like Life Church needs to be a beacon of hope in the community. And the place where people find acceptance and they find meaning for their lives. Ultimately, we are not to just focus on ourselves, but we are to shine all the more brightly in the dark world in which we find ourselves, right? Jesus said, we are the light of the world, and we are to let our good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise our Heavenly Father, right? You know this. When churches spend their time looking inwardly, like way too much, right? And what would make their weekend services or their ministries or their programs uh, more pleasing to those who are already part of the church rather than, um, rather than what's going to actually accomplish the vision and the mission of the church, even if it's not what they would personally want, like, They miss out on so many cool God stories that come from seeing the good news of Jesus Christ actually transforming people's lives. My prayer is that we would be a church where the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually transforming people's lives. Beauty for ashes. Joy for for mourning, praise instead of despair, right? Story after story after story of people finding grace and hope and a new life. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. We need your guidance, need your direction, your leading, We need the power of your spirit. My prayer this morning is that Life Church would truly be a place where people encounter the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that that gospel would work its way out into the lives of every person who comes through those doors. Power that brings salvation and healing and freedom, a new identity, a new sense of belonging, a sense of family, and a purpose and a mission that's way bigger than ourselves. Your purpose, your mission for each of us individually and for us collectively as Life Church, God. May Life Church one day be that beacon of hope in our community. That is my prayer this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.